Hello and welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, aliens, psychics, religion, new age, awakening, ascension, starseeds, channeling, holistic health, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, while other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's modern world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelyleah.com or at thelovelyleah on Instagram so we can connect. Become a Patreon supporter to get access to behind the scenes of our guests, freebies, early access to new episodes, discounts on merch, and more. Hello everyone and welcome to another week of spiritual shit. It's good to be with you. And uh, we have a lot of announcements to get out of the way before we get into today's amazing episode with Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh, um, where we're going to be talking about Ayurveda, Ayurveda, uh, if I can say that right. Um, so let's get into it. So first things first, um, I saw a bunch of you guys at our Patreon workshop yesterday about awakening, and we had a really good time. We're able to talk about some really amazing things. And if you would like to be part of our monthly workshops, you're free to join patreon.com slash lovelyalia to be a part of those. But we have a new tier that uh, we are making available for a limited amount of people. There's going to be a max of 50 people available for this particular tier. It's a $25 tier, and this is for our mystery school. And so we will have monthly get togethers where um, if you are someone who has spiritual gifts or are trying to develop those gifts or want to watch other people develop their gifts, um, we're going to have an opportunity for you to be able to join that tier and, and hang out with us where I will facilitate uh, exercises to strengthen intuition, to listen to how your body responds to energy you know, the ability to read cards for other people in front of us as we practice together in our spiritual gifts. And to me, I'm, my hope is building a really solid community of people who are in the same space or maybe not in the same stage, but in the same space, uh, trying to learn more about what it is that they can offer, uh, in the spiritual realm. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about what that means for, uh, those of you who are seeking to have uh, more development in your gifts and not necessarily like a school, but a community. And so that's available to you as well. Same link, patreon.com slash the lovely Ali, and you can pick whichever tier works for you. Uh, as usual, I am so uh, happy if you're part of my community in the first place and happy to serve you in any way that I can. So thank you for being a part if you are in there. And if not, thank you for being a part and listening to the show anyway. In whatever capacity that you're able to support the show, I am super appreciative and so glad that you're here. Um, the next thing that we have on our housekeeping list is that I am looking for uh, some team members for the podcast. And so there are multiple things that I will be needing, but if you think that you are someone who is great at social media, someone great at scheduling, someone who's got a, a desire for PR, things like that. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for a team. And so uh, if you can send your resume uh, through my website, there's a link that uh, shows where my email is. 
And if you can send those over, I will be vetting those over the next couple of months so that way we can start 2022 with a bang. Uh, super amounts of points if you are local to KC or close to KC. I would really love if I can meet these people in person. So I'm putting that out there, trying to manifest a team uh, for what is coming for next year. I have learned that I cannot do everything myself and that sucks, but <laughs> it's a good thing uh, to, to finally be able to ask for that kind of help. So here we go. Um, this week, we are also having a giveaway on a Moldavite pendant which uh, I'm excited to give to somebody because it has got a ton of energy. As soon as I put it in my hands, uh, my hands were lighting up and this like very heavy pins and needles kind of way. So I, I, I sense that it has a lot of energy. Uh, so if you would like to uh, throw your hat in the bin for that entry, uh, go onto Instagram on my latest post um, with the piece of Moldavite, if it's the latest post when you are looking at my Instagram, if this is before 11.11, then you have an opportunity to win that too. So uh, if not, and you want to get your own piece of Moldavite, uh, go to moldavitefamily.com. By the way, this is not an ad. <laughs> I just really enjoy um, getting my Moldavite from them because I know it's sourced and authentic. And they've given me a code which is the lovely Aaliyah. If you use the lovely Aaliyah as a code, you can get 15% off there. So um, they're a small family owned business and um, they're wonderful with their customer service. I just like to support good businesses. And so if that is, uh, if Moldavite is supposed to come into your life or Libyan desert glass, they also have a lot of that. I just recently got a really cool bracelet from them uh, that I am, I'm feeling. I have a thing for tectites. Because tectites aren't crystals. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's from the, the glass that hits from a meteor. So apparently Libyan desert glass is like 25, 26 million years old. And it's found in uh, the Libyan desert, essentially over close by Egypt, Sahara Desert. So if that's kind of your jam, uh, Libyan desert glass feels like the perfect complement to Moldavite. It's like the, the smooth, I said the smooth cocoa butter <laughs> over after you're done exfoliating because the Moldavite has a very like sharp kind of energy, spiky energy. And, um, the desert glass is really, really smooth. I don't, that's the only way I know how to describe the energies of it. So if that's something you're interested in, check them out, go get that discount or, uh, enter on our Instagram contest. And so I, I think that's all I have to ramble about for this week. So let's get into today's episode. Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh is a 20 plus year physician who began her career as an ER doctor in Chicago. She quickly realized the limitations of Western medicine and believed her patients deserve more. This realization took her from Brazil to study energy healing back to India to become a practitioner of its 5,000 year old ancient healing tradition known as Ayurveda. These various healing systems confirm what Dr. Avanti had believed already, that each of us has an innate ability to attain and maintain our optimal health, and that when done correctly, the practice of Ayurveda is as simple and natural as being in tune with your body as it moves through the seasons of your life. Combining the findings with modern science and the principles of traditional healing, Dr. Avanti is a thought leader in Ayurveda and an expert in integrative wellness. Her courses, writings, and lectures beautifully bridge the gap between technological advances of Western medicine and the traditional, equally effective practices of Eastern medicine. 
She's a portal to demystifying and understanding the power and beauty of Ayurveda. Dr. Kumar Singh holds a BA in art history from the University of Chicago and an MD from Rush University of College of Medicine. She's also a certified plant-based professional and certified yoga therapist. She hosts the Healing Catalyst podcast and her first book, The Health Catalyst, How to Harness the Power of Ayurveda and Achieve Optimal Wellness. In addition to that, if that wasn't enough, Dr. Avante has been featured on Goop, Google, Mind Body Green, Well and Good, Good Life Project, Thrive, Global, The Huffington Post, and dozens more. She's also served as a co-leader facilitator of the Faculty Scholars Program in Integrative Healthcare at the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine and Northwestern Medicine in Chicago. Please welcome Dr. Avanti to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host, Aliyah Lovely, and today we have Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh, who is an Ayurveda specialist and a yoga teacher and a book writer and a podcast host. She has a wealth of information for us today. How are you doing, honey? I'm so well. It's so nice to be with you, Aliyah. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Um, I'm really excited to have you on the show today because we're talking a lot about health and particularly how Ayurveda works in, in the world and the harmony of our life. Um, it's something I've been interested in, but haven't, it's, it's something that kind of feels a bit, um, elusive. Like people talk about it kind of in general, and you're the first person I've seen who's really gotten it like, you know, bullet by bullet by bullet. This is what it actually is. Um, so before we really get into that and really enlighten our viewers about how we can get in harmony with ourselves and our health, um, like where do you come from? Like, what do you do? How did you get to this place where you are the expert in this field? Oh, thank you for that <laughs> introduction. Um, you know, I grew up with Ayurveda. I am first generation here in the States. My parents immigrated from India, some South Asian and, you know, Ayurveda was just the way we did things. It was how we lived every day. It was part of our lives ingrained, interwoven in everything that we did. Um, and so to be honest, when I was a kid, I didn't really realize that that's what was happening. I just, this is just how we live. Yeah. And it wasn't until much later when I was in my medical training and started to have health issues and sort of was questioning, you know, the kind of medicine that I was learning and, and training in that I really started to reflect on my childhood and the way I grew up. Um, and the fact that I never had any health issues when I was, you know, younger until pretty much the first quarter of my life, the first 25 years of my life, I had no health issues. And so I think that reflection sort of that, that introspection is what brought me to where I am now. Um, and so, you know, the question that you asked is, you know, how did you get here? It's really, I think a, a common story for a lot of people in the health professions, they go looking for answers because of their own needs, either their own health challenges or a family member or, you know, the questions that they have. And that's sort of a combination of all three that happened to me. Um, and that's really how I sort of went back to where I came from and have found this way to bring them both together, um, I think part of it is, is that I've learned that I'm a really good teacher mm -hmm. and um, I'm pretty good at breaking things down and, and um, simplifying things in a way that is accessible and usable in everyday life. Um, and so I think that's, that's really why I've arrived where I have um, and have so much that I've written and done and spoken on because this just comes naturally to me and, and it's part of my profession also. It's just a different way that I'm kind of practicing now. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. I, I'm, I'm interested if you're open to expressing, uh, what happened in your, your health history that you started having issues to be able to look for answers in the first place. Yeah. You know, it was really during my, my training, um, in emergency medicine that I started to have all kinds of health issues, you know, all those small sort of annoying symptoms that then become chronic, whether it was the constipation, the pain I was in, I had plantar fasciitis in both of my feet. I was probably about 30 pounds overweight. Um, I had headaches all the time. I was under a lot of stress. I was a young mom because I had both my kids, um, while I was in medical school, I got married and had two kids. So I said, I took seven years through med school. Um, and so, you know, I had a lot of stress. I had a lot of roles and responsibilities. I married a South Asian man. So we have a lot of family and a lot of cultural expectations around, um, you know, my role as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter, daughter-in-law, sister. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think all of those things combined, and it was taking a toll on my physical health, my mental health, my emotional health. And ultimately, I think where I sort of was down on my knees about it is that it sort of like was this spiritual sort of existential crisis, if you will. Um, Because honestly, I had never stopped long enough to have an existential Mm -hmm. crisis, right? Because I I went straight through my training and um, got married, had kids. And so my health, my physical health was really what sort of stopped me in my tracks and probably my, my emotional health too. And so that was really the point at which I said to myself, okay, something's got to change because when you can't, when you're on a shift and you can't remember what any patient's name is, what they look like, what they came in for, what they left with, where you sent them in the hospital. And that happens over and over again, there's something wrong because I found that I was not only disconnected to the people in my life, my family, my friends, then disconnected to my patients who I was there taking care of, but also disconnected to myself and my life, right? I was disconnected to everything. And so it really was a point where I had to say to myself, what are you going to do? Are you going to continue down this path and get sicker and sicker and more and more distressed and more and more disconnected? Or are you going to choose something else? Mm -hmm. And I chose something else. Well, good for you. <laughs> Cause that's a hard decision for a lot of people to make, um, when they're in the throes of it, they just start mm-hmm. to accept that this is a part of their life and, um, and don't make that change for themselves. Um, I'm actually going through something very similar right now where I'm having a lot of chronic stuff and uh, upon having a baby and like the lack of sleep and like all those things that you just mentioned, I'm starting to have a, a host of stuff pop up and I'm like, something's got to shift. I like, I literally have <laughs> taken 18 vitamins today. <laughs> Yeah. I have some Chinese herbs and I went to go, go to acupuncture, the whole thing. So, um, if you can define, I know you can, um, Ayurveda and, uh, essentially what it is at the base level, um, mm-hmm. as a practice or lifestyle. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a great question. One that I'm asked a lot. And so I have a way to answer it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, after a lot of reflection, because, you know, Ayurveda is a vast science of knowledge, right? It's, years and it's 5,000 years old. It's, you know, thousands of pages of Vedic texts, but really what it comes down to from my perspective is Ayurveda is 
a manual for living. And it basically says that when you live in harmony with nature, you will have optimal health and a vibrant life full stop. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it comes down to is that when you realize that we are all made of the same five elements, all human beings, all living things, all everything in the universe is made of the same five elements, space, fire, sorry, space, air, fire, water, and earth in different proportions. When we have harmony of those um, elements within us and with everything around us, we can access optimal health. Mm. And it's when we start to get out of harmony in disharmony, out of balance, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's when the signs and the symptoms start to show up, right? right? However subtle or obvious that they are, they will show up and they're there to tell you something, take a look at your life, take a look at what's going on around you, um, and for you and ask yourself what's happening here. So when we understand that everything in the universe, including human beings, is made of the same five elements, which are air, space, fire, water, and earth, we understand that if we live in harmony within us, right, we have harmony within us and with everything around us, we will have optimal health. We all have these five elements in different proportions. And so that doesn't mean that you have to have, you know, exact balance of, you know, those five elements and exact balance. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you have your own genetic makeup of those five elements. And when at the time of birth and when they stay in harmony, close to harmony, you'll have optimal health. It's when you start to veer from that, that the harmony goes away, mm -hmm. that the signs and symptoms of disharmony show up, which is any sign or symptom, however subtle or obvious is an indication that you're going off balance, that you're becoming disharmonious with nature. Mm -hmm. And that's really what the essence of Ayurveda is, is that it's a manual for living. As I said, you know, Ayurveda in Sanskrit means the science or knowledge of life. And so it's a manual for living mm. and it gives you these very specific yet general guidelines of how to live in harmony with nature to promote your vitality and your health, your immunity, your strength, all of the things that we think of as health and wellness. Right. And so when you can follow those guidelines, and then obviously make them more specific to you, which is the beauty and brilliance of Ayurveda is that there are these general guidelines for all human beings, yet you can make them specific to your situation. And I'll explain a little more as we talk, but that's really what Ayurveda is about. And the way that I talk about it is I really sort of focus in on the idea that you have the power once you understand the basics of Ayurveda, which are not that complicated, you can self-heal, you can self-correct, mm -hmm. like co have course correction is what I call it on a daily basis. So that when these signs and symptoms start to show up, you will know what to do in three areas of remedy that I talk about, which is your daily routines, the things that you're doing every day or on a seasonal basis. The second area is your diet. 
And the third is the tools of yoga, mm-hmm. right? And each of those actually really pretty brilliantly, even though this is a science that's been around for 5,000 years, actually correlates to medical science, to the data that we have, right? The physiology that we know is true, um, which I can go through, but that's what's so amazing about Ayurveda. And I also think it's also why so many people are becoming more interested in Ayurveda because in Western culture, everyone wants data. They want proof, right? Yeah. (laughs) And even though 5,000 years of proof should be enough, but it's not, (laughs) and I get it. um, I think that that's also one of the reasons that Ayurveda is gaining so much popularity because there is all this data and research and it lines up with the physiology that we know to be true in the human body. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of went all over the place with my answer just now. No, I love it. (laughs) But, but you're so right though, because we live in this time. I mean, obviously like there's loads and loads of people who are interested in spirituality now, thus IE our shows. Um, but there is this kind of, um, you're starting to see the correlations, the proof show up. Um, I see an acupuncturist now uh, for a lot of things that I'm like, when I went to the doctor, like they weren't necessarily, it's not that they weren't doing what was needed in order to have this kind of, uh, uh, health response or interaction. It's just that it was so invasive and out of harmony with my actual life. And so, um, it, it was just interesting to see that the softness that it came with when I was being able to participate in things that felt more harmonious with my actual life. Um, so what's interesting is that it's what I found uh, through some of my research, uh, looking you up, there seemed to be three main areas and you, you kind of touched on them was the activities in your life. Um, you said the principles of yoga and then what was the other one? So it's the routines, the things that you do daily diet, uh-huh. and then the tools of yoga. And I say tools of yoga because I'm including I'm including everything that yoga is not just the asana or the posture, which is what Western culture has exactly. sort of made yoga about. Right. So let's get into that. Cause like, mm-hmm. um, I want to talk about, well, we're going to talk about yoga. <laughs> we're also <laughs> going to talk about sleep and digestion and disease. Sure. Um, but first with yoga, I know that like, yeah, like people think about yoga. The first thing they think about is fitness. Um, not everybody, but most people think of like, okay, these postures that you do in order to get your body in shape or whatever. Um, I really like your, like, so go ahead and, uh, expand on that. Like, this is not just the asana that like, what is, what is the fullness of yoga and how does it integrate with an Ayurvedic, uh, lifestyle? Right. So yoga and Ayurveda are sister sciences. They come from the same Vedic texts. And actually in Ayurveda, yoga is one of the tools that we use for healing and for health and well-being. Um, Yoga, you know, is really many different types of practices. The asana is important, but there's also breath work, meditation, chanting, gesture, all of these things, visualization. These are all um, different forms of yoga. And, you know, it's unfortunate that yoga has become synonymous with just the postures because that's actually not the most important thing. The breath is actually the most important thing. I always say, that the breath is where the mind and the body meet because it will show you what's in the way, right? If you have a shallow, erratic, quick breath, 
um, it's telling you that there's something either going on in your mind or in your body that is causing that breath, right? So it's an indicator mm. um, and the same in the, in the opposite direction. And we know from physiology <clears throat> that the breath and the nervous system are linked completely, right? And we can quite literally change our physiology in a moment by changing our breath. And so from my perspective, that's one of the most powerful tools of yoga that you can use anytime, anywhere. It's free, very simple to use. Um, and so that is sort of, you know, to expand people's understanding of what the tools of yoga are. And, you know, it also, it, for me, from my perspective, you know, there's the, the Ayurvedic perspective and then the, the physiology perspective and right. in Ayurveda, the tools of yoga are to help create this flow of energy through the body to create the flow of prana or chi, as they say in um, traditional Chinese medicine, right? That vital energy through the body from a physiological perspective, these tools will help to shift you from the sympathetic or stress response into the parasympathetic or relaxation response, right? Mm -hmm. It's vagal stimulation. And the reason that's so important is that we know that stress is very, very linked to inflammation mm -hmm. and inflammation is linked to pretty much every chronic illness that we know about. And so going backwards, if you can shift yourself into a vagal, uh, or sorry, have a vagal response into a parasympathetic response, you are going to start to modulate and lower your inflammatory response mm -hmm. in a good way, not in a ne negative way. Right. Right. Um, and that's why it's so important. That's why it's being studied. And we, we know the, the, the data on what it can do for the body, you know, and whether it's meditation that you're talking about, I mean, we have clear data on that, mm -hmm. um, and how it shifts the neuroplasticity in the brain, how it can shift every symptom, every system in the body and actually, you know, bring down your blood pressure, lower your heart rate, lower your respiratory rate. Um, there's all those aspects. And then there's obviously the spiritual uh, aspects to meditation, breath work, um, all of these practices, because what you're doing is also you are bringing into harmony your higher self to the embodied soul. Mm. from my perspective, you're, you're bringing those together, allowing them to speak to each other through these practices. Mm. So there's a, there's another level to what's happening in yoga too. Wow. Um, you're, you're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was right to have you on the show. Uh, I feel that this, this is going to be just so enlightening for people to listen to because the embodiment of that and the embodiment of the higher self, we're not just doing this to access different parts of our spirituality. We're doing this to access different parts of our health and harmony within our bodies. Um, so what's really interesting, you, you talk a lot about, well, sorry, the things that, that stuck out to me, because these are areas that I'm still working on are sleep and diet, sleep and, and diet and digestion. And what happens with that? There was, um, something on one of your, uh, presentations that you made where you talked about the six stages of disease. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I would love if you're able to break that down for our audience, because I know that in most people's concern, when they start thinking about their health in different ways, and they start seeking out, um, alternative methods, which I 
find it stupid to call them alternative because they were 5,000 years old. They're the originals. Um, but for them to be able to, to see ways in which they're, they're able to access, um, more localized versions of their health. So, um, I saw it's a six stages of diseases, uh, accusation, aggravation, spread, localization, manifestation, and disruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love for you to break those down for our listeners. Yeah. And so, you know, the idea here is that it's not like you wake up one day and you suddenly have disease, right? I mean, even though for some people, and again, that may be hard for some people to receive depending on what they're dealing with. But I think my point here is, is that it is a slow process. Even if you don't know that it's happening, it is happening over time, right? It's not like it just shows up one day, even though consciously it may show up one day. Right. And so, you know, the first it, there's six stages really, and it's really at stage three that we can really start to make a difference. Right. So the first stage is accumulation. And that's really when the toxins sort of start to accumulate somewhere in the body. And you're really not going to feel anything. You're not going to even know what's happening. So, you know, that's just about living, you know, your life and it's accumulating. The second stage is aggravation is that that's when the toxins, actually that toxic load starts to spill over from where it initially accumulated and it'll start to travel to other places in the body and start setting up and sort of taking hold of those areas. Um, and that's also kind of goes into step, uh, stage three, which is spread, right? So it's starting to spread, um, a little bit more, and you might start to have a little bit of some symptoms show up. Now, these are those signs and symptoms that are subtle. They can also be very obvious. It just depends on you and how much of an imbalance you have, but that's when you need to take notice. And and that's sort of like, I put a star next to that because that's really the point where you can start to really make a big difference in, in whether that, that symptom, that accumulation of toxins continues, where it then becomes localization, manifestation, and then disruption, right? Mm -hmm. And localization, which is stage four, is when you are going to have a whole set of symptoms that is going to probably get a diagnosis, right? You have a fever, you have chills, you have a cough. You're probably usually at localization is when you usually are going to the doctor Mm -hmm. and showing up for some kind of treatment. And it's still reversible at that point, for sure. Even at the stage of manifestation, when it's really taking hold and it's sort of really a full diagnosis of some kind, you can still make some changes and start to lessen the effects. It's when you get to stage six, like the end of five and six, where it's really going to be very hard to reverse because it's really taken hold of the body um, in every way, not just a physical um, manifestation, but also an energetic manifestation. That's really the key, right? Because the energy body is the blueprint for the physical body. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's sort of that stage three, four, where you can really do something. And so stage three is the early time when you're like, okay, I'm getting these headaches all the time. Maybe I shouldn't just blow them off. Right. Mm-hmm. And even if it's a mild headache that you had just for a few hours in the day, when you become aware, when you start to live in an Ayurvedic way, you realize that that headache is showing up for some reason to tell you something it's telling you, take a look at your life, right? In Ayurveda, we consider 
that toxins come from every aspect of our life. And really the definition of optimal health is lowering the toxins, a decreased toxic load, an increased flow of vital energy, and that leads to optimal health. So Mm -hmm. if you can continually decrease your toxic load, you're going to help keep yourself healthy, right? Mm -hmm. When a symptom shows up, that tells you that your toxic load is starting to increase. There's something, something's out of harmony. And so you should look at sort of all areas of your life. You know, it's not just about your diet. It's not just about environmental toxins, but the actual environment that you're in the, the spaces that you live in, that you work in, that you play in, right. It's about the relationships you have. It's about your career and your work and your interests. It's about your lifestyle, right? Looking at your sleep, you know, so maybe considering, okay, I'm getting these headaches. Yeah. You know, and maybe you blow them off and you say the next day I'm getting headaches again and I'm getting headaches again. It's time to take a a moment and say, what have I been doing for the past five to seven days? Have I been sleeping? What's my sleep been like? What have my relationships been like? Have I had some conflict or or some, is there something going on? How's my work been going? Um, What have I been eating? What has my diet been? Because no one's perfect, right? Mm -hmm. What has my environment been? Have I been in a chaotic environment for the past week? Have I had a lot of change? Have I been traveling? Have I been staying with my, you know, a family member out of my own house, not had my routines? start to consider all of these things. And then you can start to look at, oh, maybe it's coming from there. Maybe it's coming from there. There's this awareness that starts to happen and you can start to identify where those toxins might be coming from. And then it really gets to your your question of digestion, right? It's about processing those toxins, right? Dealing with them in some way, whether it's, you know, changing what you're eating, you know, realizing that I kind of overdid it with whatever it was. And that doesn't really sit with me that well. And maybe oatmeal raisin cookies. <laughs> yeah. Right. Lots of coffee or, you know, I don't drink very much, but like, if I go out and I have a couple of glasses of wine because I'm enjoying my life, maybe that's the reason I have headaches. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I had, you know, a really difficult conversation with someone that I love that could mm-hmm. be causing, and I didn't take the time to process my emotions, to digest the toxins that might've come from that conversation, Mm -hmm. right? It's this awareness of how everything in your life affects you. Because again, it goes back to what Ayurveda is about. about. It's about being in harmony with everything in nature. And that includes everything in your life, right? That's, That's such an important point. And I feel like that's something that people miss very often because we always, always talk about health as if it's only related to your exercise and diet, but not thinking about our emotional health, our cognitive health, our environmental health as well. I think that that's such a great point. Uh, emotionality or like the, the things that we're dealing with, like if we just had a really bad fight with our sister and then we start having, you know, this upset in our body that we recognize that we're also an energy body too. And so us absorbing, um, those energetic traits and for, without processing them out is, is something we also need to look at from a holistic Ayurvedic standpoint. Um, I love how much we're saying Veda because it is my daughter's name. So <laughs> I'm loving this, um, right now. Um, so what are some tips for people to get more in tune with that optimal health? I know sleep is a big one for a lot of people. And, um, for me, even when I was listening to some of your content, I was like, man, like 
I would really like to improve my, my sleep, but I have a baby right now. Right. So it's like, do I just like, does that just not count? Like, can I, do I just like throw away this year of my life? Um, how do people make very conscious, uh, strides towards their health and, and not only sleep, but other, other key areas. So I'll speak to the, the, an important point that you, you just made, which is that you have a young baby, right? So in Ayurveda, we also consider the season of your life, Mm. right? So it's seasons in the sense of we're, we're looking at our daily routines, you know, the, the daily path of the sun on a circadian rhythm, a 24 hour, hour cycle. And then you layer on top of that, the seasons of nature what season is it fall, winter, spring, summer, and you're going to adjust some of the things that you do based on that. And then when you layer on top of that is the season of your life, what season of your life are you in, right? When you have young children and a young family, it may be impossible to think that you are going to be able to regulate your sleep in some meaningful way. And that's okay, because that's the time of life you're in. And so I would encourage your listeners to not be so hard on themselves if they're having a hard time with their sleep, right? Um, Because they have young children. I know that that was my situation when my kids were young, they're older and out of the house. And so I can go to sleep. Mm -hmm. I can be in bed by 10 o'clock, which would never happen when they were home (laughs) and when they're home to visit, it never happens. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's an important point to think about is what season of life are you in? What is your life situation? Um, but as far as, you know, just some, you know, quick tips on, on things that you can do, you know, really the most important place to start when you're getting started with an Ayurvedic lifestyle and sort of thinking about this way of living is really to think about your routines. What are you doing on a daily basis? And really it comes back again to, that is the foundation of Ayurveda is living, living in harmony with nature on a daily basis basis. And that really comes down to living in harmony with the path of the sun through the sky. And so there are certain things you should be doing during the daytime and even during certain parts of the daytime to maximize the energy, the elemental energy that is present at different times of the day Mm -hmm. um, and different times of the night. Now, what we know is that this syncs up with circadian medicine. It actually syncs up with circadian rhythms, right? And so that's why, you know, eating your main meals during daylight hours is so important. And if you eat later into the night, your body will actually go into processing of food rather than processing of toxins, which is what it's Mm. designed to do overnight. And that's related to all the hormones that we release at different times of the day. So from my perspective, what that comes down to is what are some of the things that you can regulate in your routine on a daily basis for someone like you has a young child sleep may not be the best place to start, even though it could probably really help you, but getting some of these other things regulated will actually help to regulate your sleep as well. So it's Mm -hmm. almost like you can backdoor it a little bit, (laughs) you know? And so I always say, start with a couple of things. Look at regularity with your sleep time, your wake time, and your meal times. If you can get some regularity around that, what that does is that, first of all, it's, and you sync it up with the path of the sun that helps with your circadian rhythm. It also helps with your nervous system Mm -hmm. because your body and your mind knows what to expect when. And it's not going to be in a constant stress state wondering what's happening there's regularity. It can kind of start to relax. 
Okay. So mm. that's the first thing to do. And as far as, you know, some guidelines around those things, you want to try and get into bed, have blue lights out, you know, nothing that glows and, you know, for two to three hours before bed, again, this will transition with the seasons as the days get shorter, you might need more sleep, right? So it's sort of like when the sun starts to set and nature goes to sleep, you should be going to sleep too. Mm. So that means if you can be in bed by nine 30, 10 and try and get, you know, get some sleep. Great. You know, yeah. um, if you can wake up within a half an hour of when the sun wakes, wonderful. Again, you're tapping into different energies of the day, which right. I think is probably too much to go into right now, but that's what you're doing. Sure. As let's go into it. I'm really interested <laughs> in that. Okay. We can go into that too. And then as far as meals go, your digestion is strongest in the middle of the day when the sun is at its highest point in the sky. So between 10 AM and 2 PM, you mm -hmm. want to eat your largest, most difficult to digest meal in the middle of the day and make breakfast and dinner lighter, easier to digest, mm -hmm. um, and earlier. So dinner, like you can do it by six or seven. Wonderful. Because then if you go to sleep by nine or 10, your body has had some time to digest, uh, to process that food. And then when you go to bed, it can start processing toxins instead of being processing food. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So those are some general guidelines around routines daily. That's a really, that's really the most important place to start. I think when you're, when you're starting with Ayurveda. Hmm. Um, I, 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 I know we've heard many times that we should eat our biggest meal in the middle of the day. And it's like finally Western medicine caught up to <laughs> what mm -hmm. Ayurveda has been saying for a long time. Um, there's something that you've talked about where you talked about, um, like essentially I'm going to get this wrong, but, uh, digestion being the, the key to health or the fire, something about the fire. Um, I'd love to break that down for our listeners, um, because it was something that sounds super interesting. Yeah. So, you know, digestion in Ayurveda is one of the keys to health. When, when I'm sitting with a student or a client, um, and doing an Ayurvedic assessment with them, and this will be true of any Ayurvedic practitioner, what we're trying to assess when we first meet you is the strength of your digestion. What is the state of your digestion? Digestion from an Ayurvedic perspective is, is something real, like it's a physical thing, but it's also a metaphor in many ways of how well can your system process toxins? Mm -hmm. How well can it take what it needs and eliminate the rust? from experiences, from food, from, um, the practices that you do, how well can it just take what it needs and get rid of the rust? If you have a strong, healthy, robust digestion, you'll be able to do that quite effectively. Your digestion is considered strong. And so we know that you probably are not going to have that many health issues unless it's too strong, right? Mm. That's the opposite problem that happens. Um, but if it's very, very irregular, your digestion, or it's very, very slow, that's when a lot of signs and symptoms start to show up because you're not able to process the toxins. And so they start to accumulate. Mm -hmm. So this also goes back to that stages of disease, right? Um, so digestion or Agni in Sanskrit or fire is very, very important. And again, we know this in modern science now, right? They've right. proven that the gut is the second brain of the body, right. that 90% of the neurotransmitters that we have in our body that, that support our mood 
are made in our gut, not in our brain. Right. Right. Which is why so many people who struggle with emotional or mental health issues, a lot of psychiatrists are starting to look at what is going on with that person's gut because their microbiome is probably completely disheveled out of balance. Um, and so they're not creating the neurotransmitters they need to enhance or to support their mood. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it all is sort of, it's all linked together. Um, and so that's why digestion is so, so important. Um, and so again, when we're looking at the digestive fire, that's a metaphor, but it's really, it's also the microbiome, like what is actually in, what are the, the microbes that are in your gut and how are they supporting your health yeah. or working against your health? Yeah. That's something I'm looking at right now. I filled out some, uh, survey test or something. Instagram is like really good algorithmic wise of like targeting <laughs> their ads now. Um, and I was like, Oh, I should check this out because I've always thought maybe that there's a gut biome issue with me. Um, and started to look at that. The, uh, I first made that connection when I started to get headaches around something that I ate mm -hmm. and I was like, interesting. Okay. Why? Like I, I wasn't looking at the thing that I was eating, but um, now I can't even remember what it was, but the, there was something I was eating that then continued to make, give me headaches. And I thought, how bizarre, like, why would I think that my stomach would be connected to my headaches, you know, whatever it's all you know, connected and linked. That's a wonderful point. Um, I would love, uh, for you to talk like, cause you spoke about like, I mean, a lot of people are really interested in food when we talk about health and I love that you're taking a more holistic perspective, but I know they're going to want to hear about this. Um, you talk about the seasonality of life very well and, and how that operates and works. And so something that I found interesting is that you were talking about, um, eating seasonally and how you should be eating seasonally according to what's growing during the, the time. Can you expand on that? Because, uh, I think you said something like you shouldn't be eating strawberries while it's, you know, middle of winter in Chicago. <laughs> and I thought, why yeah. is that? Well, because mother nature is much smarter than we are. That's really what it comes down to. You know, mother nature provides what we need at different times of the year. There are different properties that it is, um, it's, it's cultivating for us naturally. Right. And so, you know, this whole idea of eating seasonally and locally originally came from Ayurveda, right. That mm -hmm. that's what you should be doing. And, you know, when you look at the, the recipes that have been made in your family for a few generations, look at those recipes and you'll notice that they're made specifically at specific times of the year because of the ingredients that are available. And also the spice combinations are made in a certain way for their health benefits, for their remedies, sort of the, the remedies that are in those spice combinations. And if you ask people in your family or your family of origin, or, you know, or even just do some research from, you know, the, the culture that you came from, you will see that there are actually medicinal reasons for those spice combinations. It doesn't matter what part of the world you came from. You don't have to be South Asian for that to, you know, to make sense. It does, does line up, but the seasonality is really that, you know, mother nature knows what's best. So for example, you know, we're going into fall winter here in Chicago, I'm in the Midwest. And so, you know, we're coming up on the harvest season, all the root vegetables and um, that's really what we should be eating. You know, mother nature is providing that. And the reason is because the qualities of those foods are those that will balance our systems during this colder time of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I should probably rewind to a really important point of sort of how this all fits together. Yeah. Ayurveda is a qualitative science, not a quantitative one. So there's a mind change, like a mind shift that you have to have when you're thinking about Ayurveda. We're not looking at lab values and images and things like that. We're thinking about the qualities of things. And in Ayurveda, there are 20 qualities in pairs of, in 10 pairs of opposites. Mm -hmm. And those qualities describe everything in nature, including those five elements. And so that's how we can understand them. So if you can describe the qualities of air or of fire or of water or earth, you get the idea. Those qualities show up in the kinds of foods we eat, the times of the day, the kinds of practices we do. Um, And so the point here is that there's a golden principle in Ayurveda that I call the golden principle, which is like increases like and opposites reduce. So if you're having a symptom that shows up like headaches, you can describe the qualities of those headaches for some people might be very much fire qualities. They're sharp, hot. Those are the, the, they're uh, sometimes they can be moving because they're like Mm -hmm. kind of pounding. So you can describe them according to this golden principle like will increase, like opposites will reduce. And so you want to do the opposite. You want to cultivate Mm. qualities that are opposite to the qualities of the symptom that's showing up. That is done through your routines. The three remedies I talk about your routines, what you're doing on a daily basis, the diet, and then the tools of yoga. So if you choose foods, and this is usually the easiest way to understand it. If you choose foods that have fiery qualities, things with lots of sugar, caffeine, spicy, those are probably going to increase your headache. And we know that those do commonly increase headaches, right? They have the same qualities. So instead, if we can eat foods that have the opposite qualities, we'll actually be able to bring those qualities into balance. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about foods that are a little bit duller, that are a little bit warmer, maybe not hot, but warm, um, a little bit And even cooling, depending on what kind of headache you have a little more stable so that they're not moving so much root vegetables might be a great idea. Like having a warm, hearty soup might be wonderful. If you're having a really, a lot of headaches rather than eating something with lots of sugar and caffeine, it's going to probably increase your headache. So that's a simple example. And so back to the diet and the seasonality mother nature actually has already figured that out for us. It's already done the counter, what I call the counterbalancing for us. So in the winter or in the fall and winter, as the temperature becomes cooler, we have more of that air and space qualities of cool, light, mobile. It creates a harvest of vegetables that have the qualities of heaviness, Mm -hmm. of, of groundedness, right? Yeah. Counterbalance the time of year. And so that's why when you eat seasonally, you're tapping into nature's intelligence right away, Mm -hmm. right? Having strawberries and berries in the middle of winter, strawberries have um, a lot of coolness. They have a higher water content. They're, they're lighter, right? Those juicy fruits, those are really not the best thing to be eating in winter that has the same qualities. You want to be eating apples and pears and warmed up apples and pears, right? That's what's in season Mm. during that time. Go to summer, summer, the weather is very hot outside, right? So nature provides us with fruits and vegetables that are 
sweet, juicy, have a higher water content, have a higher sugar content to naturally cool us off. Mm. So that's why seasonality is so important in Ayurveda. That's really cool uh, to make an observation on. Does it work the same for people who live in climates that are, that are hot year round or cold year round? Yeah, I get this question a lot. I think you have to just go with, again, with what's in season locally, locally. And, you know, that can be kind of hard sometimes because in the United States, everything gets flown in. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what time. I mean, you know, we can be in the middle of a snowstorm in Chicago in January, and there are, you know, uh, strawberries and mangoes available in the, in the, in the yeah. market, which we shouldn't be eating really go. Like my one tip for that is go buy what's cheapest and most abundant as far as vegetables and fruits produce in the mm -hmm. grocery store. That'll give you an indication of what's, what's seasonal local. and local. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Like it's, I, I mean, I, I love, I love thinking about that in terms of like, obviously like the locality of things. I like kind of going to farmers markets and stuff like that, but, um, I never thought about that in the, the opposites reduce kind of capacity. Like if we are, and I guess like, I would need a chart that would be like, which, which fruits are cold, which fruits are hot. Um, I wouldn't understand that as well, but, um, I really think that just in general, what are your, lasting thoughts on how Ayurveda principles can really help people adjust to, um, a better reality in their life. Right now we're going through this pandemic and a lot of people are worried about their health and, um, you know, also their wellness and, and not being able to socialize or feeling isolated in some kind of way or another. And so our lives have been vastly disrupted, um, and having to find this kind of new normal. So lots of people are looking for ways to re get back in harmony. Mm -hmm. I think the first place I always start is with an awareness, right? And, and having awareness of what you're doing on a daily basis, how you're feeling, what's showing up for you. And then thinking about where is that coming from? And for many of us, it's coming from this fear, this anxiety of the pandemic. The second thing that I would really offer to your listeners is to really think about the fact that you do have agency in this. You have some you know, control, you have the ability to influence your health and wellness, to strengthen your immunity. And so if you are doing things to protect yourself, to take care of yourself, whether that means you're trying to get the sleep that you can, you're trying to eat as, as whole, you know, whole foods as you can, you know, and eating home cooked foods as much as possible and decreasing some of the processed food. Now I'm not saying that you should eliminate them because that's not real life. Right. And, right. and you know, it's an anxious time. And so, but just do the best that you can. Um, if you're doing things to get, get out into nature and to commune with that energy and to do things to relax yourself, those are all things that are boosting your immunity, right? And so we'll get away from the discussion of, you know, immunization, non-immunization, mask, no mask. It's really about how are you taking care of yourself as a human being on a daily basis? And so becoming aware and and really trying to decrease the fear from the perspective of like, I have some control over this. I can do this. I think that that's a really good place to start. Mm. I don't know that I have all the answers. You know, this is a hard one, even for me personally, knowing yeah. as much as I do it's, it's anxiety producing. Right. And so I have to constantly tell myself multiple times a day, I am doing whatever I can to boost my immunity, to take care of my health, mind, body, spirit. And that's all I can do. And the yeah. rest will happen as it is. Right. Yeah. 
that's such a gracious response. I think a lot of people feel, will feel a lot of comfort in that because oftentimes we're always wondering what can we be doing more? What can we, can we fix this? And particularly during uh, this time, it's hard to define all the answers. So um, thank you so much for being on the show. We're going to continue this conversation on Patreon guys. So if you would like to uh, hear the rest where we talk about the circadian rhythms, because I really wanted to get into that, uh, go to patreon.com slash the level of data to hear the rest of this interview. So um, before we go, can you tell everyone where to find you and also where to get your book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find everything about me on my website, which is my full name, avantikumarsingh.com. I'm on Instagram uh, quite a bit. Again, my full name is my handle, avantikumarsingh. And my book is available on Amazon and most booksellers. So you can just type in the health catalyst with my name and it should pop up. So beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we will see some of you over at Patreon and the rest of you. If you like this episode, please share it with someone you love and we will see you in the next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with someone you love. And if you're interested in becoming a client for energy coaching or card readings, find me at thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do and to book your own session. And don't forget to add me on the lovely Leah on Instagram for daily content and inspiration and hang out with me on Patreon. As always, thank you for listening.